0: Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. We're going through the book of Ephesians and we're learning about Christ being the head of the church. Somebody say head of the church. Now, believe it or not, pastors are not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. As a matter of fact, even what we would call today the Pope, he is not the head of the church. Peter, as you'll learn if we have time today, was just one of many disciples that Jesus wanted to build his church on. And so let's go to Paul's prayer here in Ephesians chapter 1. I hope you've been reading with it with me during the week as a part of your Bible study time and be encouraged by it. We only have one more lesson left in this part of the, the scripture here, and then we go to chapter 2. How many are ready for chapter Chapter 2, it's going to get exciting. We are moving through this book. Those who have noticed, it's moving quite slow, but we are nonetheless moving want to be thorough with the bible right if there's one thing we should be thorough with it should be the bible Ephesians 1:15 Paul is giving a prayer to the precious people of Ephesus there is a church that's already there so he's writing to the church about the church in many ways and you'll learn about that it says for this reason ever since i heard about your faith in the lord jesus and your love for all god's people i have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers and so we need to remember the church in our prayers paul's praying for them and they're praying for Paul. You pray for me, and I pray for you, and also the other leaders that are here praying for you, and you pray for them. He says, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. Can you ever complain with an attitude of gratitude? You can't, can you? You can only do one at the same time. I mean one or the other, but you can't do both at the same time. So what do you want? An attitude of uh, of gratitude or do you want to complain? Here's the thing about the church. People are growing at different stages and in different ways here, and we can find the issues to nitpick on or we can be thankful that they're here. And not at the lake today, we're thankful that they're here growing and then work through the issues. We don't quit on each other in other words. Can I get an amen for that? So we believe in each other. As God is moving through us. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the prayer of Paul. He's telling the church, I'm so thankful for you. I love you, and I want you to know Jesus better. In verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious grace. Everybody go, Glorious grace. That doesn't even say it there. (laughs) It's not my fault. Say glorious inheritance. There's another scripture that says glorious grace. And once I just closed my eyes, I went to another place. But let me just stay focused here. The riches of his glorious inheritance. I just get excited about that. Uh, In his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So what are the three things Paul wants us to know about our God as our hearts are enlightened? He wants us to know the hope. He wants us to know his riches of the inheritance he's preparing for us in the world to come. And the incomparable great power that's in us right now to live for him, to overcome every temptation and obstacle. And that's why we can say things like, you know, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That's where that power comes from. Verse 20, he exerted this same power when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And remember, we talked about this. Jesus was the union of the eternal Son of God with flesh. But the eternal Son of God always had a throne. The eternal Son of God, known as the Word, always was with the Father, equal in His divinity. But the Son took on flesh, and that unique union, what we call the hypostatic union—the union between God and humanity—was Jesus. So Jesus had a new. Um, had Jesus had a nature that no other creature had ever had before. But there weren't a divine Jesus and a human Jesus. They were one person. When I say they, the natures were one. So the word eternal took on the temporal flesh of a man and was named Jesus. So the way I like to look at it is, is the eternal spirit of the Son of God preexisted, okay, all of the earth, all of the universe. And he's actually the one that made us in his image. So the Father, the Bible says, never came down to walk with us or do any of those things. That's always... The pre incarnate Jesus, as what we would know the Son of God. Can I hear an amen? So he's the one walking in the garden. He's the one talking to Moses face to face. He's the one always uh, showing up as the angel or messenger of the Lord. So the pre incarnate spirit of the Son of God takes on the earth suit like we would take on a space suit to come to this earth. Does everybody get that? So he didn't stop being the eternal Son of God when he took on flesh and became Jesus. He did not stop being the eternal Son of God. But who Jesus was was a unique combination or what we would call an interminglement of the divine and the human. I know it's deep and it's something that you'll be spending all of eternity figuring out, okay? You will be mesmerized by the nature of Jesus for all of eternity. But it's important to say this here because sometimes people think if Jesus is getting all of this stuff after the resurrection, how can he be God? If he was God, didn't he already have all power, authority, rule, and dominion And that's because people don't understand the incarnation and why he came down. He did this as a man. So God, the son, already had power and authority. But when he created man, he gave this to him for the earth's sake, to rule over the earth. And any time you see a person walking a dog, you're seeing the image of God, us ruling over the kingdom of of the animals. And any time you hear somebody say, my dog is my son or daughter or my child, you have met a fool, okay? Then you got to pray for them because your pets are not your children they are what you have dominion over they are not in your image no matter how much you love them no matter how much you love you're just like pastor i'm not going to believe that that's still my child well you can be that way if you want but they're not in the image of you have a real child and then put that child next to your pet and you'll see the difference of image can i get an amen thank you for understanding that now this is the point so the god man everybody say the god man He's exalted above every name, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. So after the resurrection, the Son of God didn't do away with the flesh and just say, I will go back to the eternal spirit uh, in in that default mode that I was in. No, he kept on the flesh. So when you see Jesus, you will see the eternal Son of God in flesh for all of eternity. You will see the piercings of his hands, the side piercing, and that will always forever mark him. As the God man. Now, what's unique and be- beautiful about that is that because God became man, men now, be- now begin to become like God. That's why we become godly. The Son of Man. Rather, the Son of God became a son of man, that the sons of men may become the sons of God. Does everybody get that? Okay, that's the beauty of the incarnation, why he keeps the flesh. And God, here's our scripture, let's read together, one, two, three. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Thank you. Head over everything for the church. So you think the church is important to Jesus, Is there any other organization on this planet that is more important to Jesus than the church? No, and it is the church where the kingdom of God is represented. Now, I just want to pause right here. Let me read the rest, and I'll pause, okay? Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Andrew, find that picture of Bill Murray at the Cubs uh, stadium if you could please. I'm at the Wrigley Field. I want to give you an example right now because when we talk about the church, there's there's confusion that comes because I've been doing this for a while and I get to talk to a lot of people and, and I want to kind of just rid this confusion before I get into this message and that is a lot of times people think the church is about me, this guy right here and they'll even term it that way like I go to Pastor Joe's church or I go to Choco's church or I go to this church or that church but I want to tell you, this is Christ church. This is not my church, okay? And Christ wants to build his church, not so I have more people to pastor or to preach to, or I can become some uh, Willy Wonka, and you guys all become my Oompa Loompas, or I become some superstar, and you guys all become my fanboys and girls, and they want me to sign your hat at the end of the, the game or whatever, or I sign your, your Bible. No, no, this is not the point, but I want you to understand that that, if it was the point, it would be directed towards Jesus, and we should have no problem being his fans, because this man has no problem being the fan of a Chicago Cub. Are you listening to me? Now, I almost once again wore my Chicago Cub shirt. It was between this and another one, because like the same material, like half jersey style, half sleeve, whatever. But listen, I'm not against the Cubs. I'm not against sports. I'm not a legalistic person. But I just want everyone to get this. When the Cubs won the World Series, this man broke down and cried as if it meant the world to him as if it was just so deep and so meaningful and so within his heart and emotional as if he did something to make that game win like like as if he participated in any possible way but now here's my thing but he has no problem being a fan He has no problem, and he gets emotional, and he gets excited, and that's important to him. What I want to ask Bill Murray, does he weep for Jesus? Does he get excited about the church? Does he want to see stadiums filled, and does he want to see the lost saved? Because now here's the second thing. Can I tell you how little this is about me? Watch. I'm with you one hour a week. That's it count joe 's time in your life, church, to a uh, pastor to the church. What do I do in your life? One hour that 's it, right here. Everything else. Would you please stand up uh, uh, Santiago stand up David and Amy? They're giving hours to your children. Every other royal ranger, come on, stand up right now. All these royal rangers, look at them. These leaders with these kids giving hours. See, the church is a place where everybody gets to play the game. Keep standing. If you lead a life group, stand up, please. If you're in the worship band, please stand up, please. If you are a part of the youth ministry, please stand up. These are all the players, and guess what? Each one of them is saying to you, you can join me on the field Anytime. Let's give it up for the players, the disciples. Thank you. You may be seated. I hope everybody gets that because this is not about me. I'm here for one hour. We have 13 life groups that meet a week. The the single mom's life group last Sunday went out evangelizing, won six people to the Lord. Let's give it up for that. You see my point? Number one, if we were going to be fans, let's be fans of Jesus. And number two, let's stop thinking it's a one-man show. I'm only up here for an hour, folks. You have 13 other ministries. You literally could go to 13 hours of ministry this week and give your life to the things of God. Be on the field. Hit a home run. And I know if I said how many of you are participating in life groups, you all would have stood up. But I I just want to give you that example. These leaders are inviting you to play the game with them. Jesus' church is important. It changes lives. From the gang ministry that we're doing here to the youth ministry to the single moms to the children's ministry, people look at the size of of our life groups and our discipleship and our evangelism, and they think we're running over a 1,000. And the reason why is because we have 80% participation in what we do That is almost unheard of. The average church around 10 to 20% participation, and it's generally the same people doing everything. Today I put on the worship hat. Tomorrow I put on the children's hat. Tomorrow I put on the Bible study hat. And then they're just all switching hats. This is your opportunity to do something great for God. Can I give you the definition of the church? Here's a great definition of the church. The church, as Jesus has called out once, ecclesia in the Greek, it's both the universal and local gathering of disciples encompassing all generations and cultures. It doesn't matter about a white man, a black man, a Latino man, an Asian man. All that matters is the God man. All that matters is that he bled red for me so that you and I could be forgiven of all of our sins. And there's only one race, the human race. And the church of Jesus Christ is ancient, 2,000 years in the past. We have ancient traditions. When we make confessions of faith, that's an ancient tradition. As a matter of fact, our confessions of faith, similar to the one we have for our church, are found in the Bible and they predate the Bible itself. Meaning, before Paul even started writing his epistles, they were already, confessing things as what we would call confessions, and he added it into the Bible. You could see it like in 1 Timothy 3.16, he appeared among flesh, he was seen among the angels. These are pre-apostolic pre uh, confessions of faith. The prayers that we pray in the fa- to the Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, in ancient traditions, the baptism formula of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the communion that we take, it is ancient in its origin, but it is valuable in the present. It is right now tangible because the power of God is with these traditions. They're more than just religion. They signify a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in our midst. And so the way I want you to think about how the church works is not just locally, not just our one congregation, but universally all across this city, whoever is truly born again and and born by the Spirit of God, knowing Jesus personally, and not only in our city, but also around the nations of the world, and not only in this generation, but in all generations. That is the kingdom of God coming to this earth. When Jesus said, pray that his will be done and his kingdom will come, that's what he's talking about, is the church ruling and reigning with Christ. And so here's a real easy way to think about it. The church starts with two or three disciples gathered in his name. Put yourself in the shoes of these early disciples. Christ has ascended to heaven. Pentecost has come. They've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now they spread out to their jobs. They spread out to their lives. And they meet on a lunch break. Two or three meeting together. There is the church. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of you. Then they begin to do the ordinances of the church. They do baptism for the new believers. Anyone can baptize a new believer if they're truly saved. That's why a lot of times you'll see our other elders and deacons doing it. It's, it's not inappropriate in the church setting to give each other communion or baptism if you're truly saved. Now, we honor doing it here in the church, but you can do it at home, and even then you could baptize your children. There's no law against it, in other words, but I know that we like to do it together. But let us understand that the church, before they... They had all of these leaders. Just imagine them, like I said, spreading out. There's only two or three of them. Peter's not there. He has to be somewhere else. Well, who's going to baptize the new believer? You have to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who's going to give out the communion? You give out the communion. Pray over it and then give it out to the fellow brothers and sisters. Then they begin to meet and sound doctrine is preached. From the sound doctrine, you can find prayers and hymns and worship. We like to write our own songs here. That's why you don't hear them on K-Love. Our thought is you hear K-Love all the time. Come here and hear something new. Amen. Now pray for us that we can write songs as good as Caleb. We're not saying we're better. We're just doing our best to write our own songs. And there'll come a time when we sing some of those karaoke songs that we've used to sing. But I've been pastoring for many years, and I just said, guys, let's stop doing karaoke and write some of our own. David said, I will sing a new song as unto the Lord, things that reflect our heart here. And if Jesus' culture could do it, Hill songs and Israel Houghton and all these guys can do it, we can do it in Jesus' name. Amen. While the sound doctrine is preached, the people are meeting together, elders and deacons are going to begin to rise up. Those are the two main offices of the church. You rightfully call me a pastor because I operate as a pastor in a five-fold ministry. But that's not the offices. Those are the gifts. So in other words, a manager is an office, but their gift may be organization, or their gift may be uh, setting up the schedule. But they're still nonetheless the manager. The managers of the church are called elders. Even Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 says, I as a fellow elder, encourage you elders in this church to keep teaching the people not being greedy for money, etc. The elders are like the managers, and the deacons are those who work with them, the, the helpers, the servants. Literally the word deacon, dekanos in the Greek means the servant or waiter. If you went to a Greek restaurant in the time of the Bible, you would say, where are the deaconoses? Where are the deacons here to help me? That's what they are in the church. Then those leaders, they are raised up by God to have gifts of apostolic gifts, prophetic gifts, evangelistic gifts, pastoral gifts, teaching gifts, and then the 12 spiritual gifts of tongues and interpretation, of prophecy, of healing, etc. And that begins to flow through the church, not only for the elders and deacons, but those who are approved in this way by the fellow fellow congregation allows that to be exercised. Because if you don't have a standard, then everybody could possibly think there's something when they're really not, and we're not here to play make-believe. Can I hear an amen to that? One thing that bothers me more than anything else, where you meet apostle so-and-so, first lady this, and son and so, that, and prophetess that. I have no problem with all the titles, but Jesus said you could just call him Jesus. Amen? If I've got to tell you I'm something, to convince you of I'm something, I've already started off the wrong way as the early disciples. Let my life show you I'm an apostolically gifted person. Let the books out there encourage you that I'm gifted in organizing the church. Let my wife and her gift of prophecy come to you at these altars and times that she meets with you, or the life group leaders that we have. So just because we don't shake our hands and say, I got a word. Now that's appropriate. I'm not saying it's inappropriate. But just because we don't deliver every word from prophet to so-and-so like this doesn't mean the prophetic is not coming to you because we believe in it. We just are not into the tradition of expressing it that way. There's a reason why dancing in the church looked like jazz dancing of the 1900s because they incorporated that tradition into their church. There's a reason why the Negro spirituals became the gospel songs and reason why, you know shouting and preaching became a part of our traditions. Not necessarily wrong in any way, but the idea is just because it's there doesn't mean it's always right. And so let your heart be be, let, you, let your culture be influenced by the kingdom culture. Amen? If you want to shout, shout. You want to kneel, kneel. You want to run this aisle, run this aisle. Just understand it doesn't matter how loud you shout, how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you leave out this place. Amen? Walk on that path of holiness. Amen. That was from my old pastor, Pastor Sutherland from the south side. He used to teach us that all the time. And where the gospel is preached to all people and new disciples are made. And so that's the expression of the church in the world. They will do charity as they preach. They will do acts of service as they're making disciples. But first and foremost, they're not digging wells. They're not bringing vaccines. Remember, hospitals and universities owe all of their origins to the church. Trust me, that's important. But what the motive was, was for the spread of the gospel. And so a lot of times in these nations like Africa and India and parts of Southeast Asia, they get upset with the Christians for coming over there preaching the gospel as we build the the wells and dig the wells and all of that. Well, here's the first problem is why aren't you doing nothing for your people? Amen. We're actually out here, so stop complaining. We're out here preaching the gospel. That's number one. And then number two, we're not bribing them. And so we shouldn't ever look at our charity as a, you better come to Jesus if you want this well. We'll give the well whether you come to Jesus or not. But over that well, we'll put Jesus is the bread of life, and His. Uh, if you come to Him, you will thirst no more, because the Spirit flows through us like a river or something. Terrible re- recollection of that scripture. If anybody is thirsty, let them come unto Me and drink, and out of their innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. There it is. Beep, boop, boop, beep. Okay, I had like a little confusion right there in the hard drive. Thank you, Lord, bless me. That's what the church looks like. Can I give you guys some serious things about the church? I want to say this verse a little bit sassy, and then I think you'll understand why. The church doesn't need you, but you need the church. God is patient. God will let you go, replace you, and keep going and accomplish what he wanted to do with you and somebody else. God does not need me. I need the church. God forbid if I was to turn my back on this, there are enough pastors here that would take my place and this would keep going without me. Whatever speed bumps they face would be difficult, but then they would continue on and God would move. Judas hung himself and within a few days they voted to take a replacement of him and it was easy to do. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. If he's God and we're not, and he's the head of the church and we're not, I need this thing a lot more than it needs me. And so when I talk to people about Metro Praise International and come visit us, and I love advertising on Facebook, check out our sermons, here's the flyers. I think we do well to stay contemporary. I want you to understand something. We are not begging you to come. As a matter of fact, we can't even get you to come unless the Holy Spirit draws you we could bribe you through a lot of different carnal means, but by those carnal means, you would have to be kept. So I would have to keep giving you that kind of pep talk. We would have to not offend you lest you go. We would have to always uh, uh, have a certain look that you like, so probably diversity, multicultural, and those types of things wouldn't work, and we certainly couldn't couldn't help you in any real way, because we'd be afraid of hurting your feelings, and so that kind of carnal uh, uh, system you would be a part of, which I called the religious enterprise is not the church. It can call itself a church, just like I can call myself Michael Jordan, but it doesn't mean I can dunk when I go on the court today. Are you listening? Not everything that calls itself is a church. Not everything that calls it, a person that calls himself a pastor is a pastor. Not every person that calls himself a disciple is a disciple. You must understand how serious this is to the Lord and be a part of his church the way he said to do it. So let me just make another sassy statement. I take what I'm doing here more serious than the Pope does, And I believe if the Pope doesn't repent, he will go to hell and I will go to heaven. So you may see me right now in a storefront church wearing shorts, and you may think in your mind, I take this less serious than a guy walking around with gold medallions and a a dunce cap on and all of these things. You may think that he's more serious about what he is doing. And I'm being honest with you. If he puts another person to pray to other than Jesus, before Jesus, which Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I don't care what he calls a church. He is not in it, and he won't rule and reign with Christ. Do you guys understand that? I have family members that are Catholic. Some of you come from that background. I am not trying to be rude. I am telling you, I believe in this. Now, you may say, I disagree. That's fine. I'm just telling you, I believe in this. And what we look like here, and if you just take a snapshot of the Bible, if you take a snapshot, what we look like here is almost identical to what they look like there. Just go back and read the book of Acts and just correct me if I'm wrong. I I would just say, listen, just everybody listen to me. Just write down 10 things you see in the Orthodox church. My family, Greek family on my wife's side comes from the Orthodox church. My uncles are Catholic. Just write down the 10 things you see in a normal Orthodox Catholic church. Write down the 10 things you see here and then go through your Bible, book of Acts, and just check off what you see. First thing you walk into the Catholic Orthodox Church is you see pictures of saints everywhere you go. You see somebody in charge as a priest that tells you, I can only give you communion. You see a person saying you can only be forgiven and absolved of your sin if you meet me in this little closet and tell me your naughty secrets. Now go into the book of Acts. Like I just said, they're discipling each other. They're baptizing their, each other. The word priest is not even found until Peter writes it and he says, we are all the priesthood of the believers. Can I show you that from Peter? What they supposedly called the first pope. Look what Peter himself says about the priesthood of the believer. He says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. All of you, together, all of us, and you'll say us later, but just follow me here. Living, as, living stones is being built together into a spiritual house to be a holy what? A holy what? Priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. According to the New Testament, who is a priest and point to them now? You better be pointing to yourself. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to start again. You must have missed it. As you. Who is you here? The whole entire church. The church. As you come to him. How many came to him? The living stone. People want to say, well, uh, Peter's the rock on which the church is built on. Peter is one of the rocks. All of us are rocks with him. But there's only one living stone. As you come to the living stone, rejected by humans, chosen by God, precious to him, you also like what? Living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Where is the house of God? Point to it now. Your, Your heart is the temple of the Lord. To be a what? A holy priesthood. Where are the priests of God? Right here. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So am I being mean when I tell you that if the pope or priest who teach false doctrines go to hell? No. If I preach false doctrines, I go to hell. Listen, if I tell you pray to St. Sutherland, Wade Sutherland, the man I, I, I was telling you about, who I love to honor in my preaching, he's passed on, he's gone to heaven, he's a saint. Let's pray to him. Let's pray right now, he's up there, it makes sense, right? He's closer to Jesus than you are. Why not just go right to him? Is that a true teaching or a false teaching? Okay, how about this? I give you communion now. I give it to you. You're not worthy to touch it, I only touch it. Come get it. Come on. I'll put it in your mouth. I give it to you. Don't you touch it. Guys, let's be real. Show me that in the Bible. Show me that in the Bible. I'm not being rude, but I I do not want you to get twisted what a church is. A church is us. What is a priesthood? Us. This is what it looked like. I can't say it more clearly than this. Take a time machine. Back to 2,000 years ago, you see men dressed in normal clothing. The Jewish priest mocked them and said they don't even look trained. They don't even look like they know what they're talking about. But here's the thing. They know the teachings of Jesus and the power of Jesus is with them. They knew that. That's what they knew. They were with Jesus. They were with him. And that's why they called him Christians, little Christ. Not that we're little gods, but just as you would say, Joe Jr. Whenever you see my son, you see Joe Jr. Where did Joe Jr. go? He's in the back. He ain't ready for the big leagues yet. Okay, still in the minors back there. Could call him up out the farm league. Come on, son. Need you up here. I'm just going to say it one more time. How many precious stones are in this place? Raise your hand. How many spiritual houses are in this place? Raise your hand. How many priests do I have in this place today to God? How many are offering up those spiritual sacrifices to Jesus? Can I tell you how serious the church is now? This is what the, this is what the author of Hebrews said. This is, uh, we suppose it's either Paul, because it doesn't name it, or it's the companion of Paul. It says in Hebrews 10, 23 to 27, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Everybody say he's faithful. Thank you. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Hi-ya! Do you feel spurred when you come to Metro Praise International? I have had people tell me, listen, I have never been offended so much, but yet it feels so right. Something about what you're saying makes sense. You just insulted every person in my family and what we believed for hundreds of years. But yet it does make sense. The Bible did not ever tell us to do that. And, and that's all I'm doing. I'm just yeah, spurring you on. Come on, love Jesus. Well, I love the mother of Guadalupe. No, don't do that. Yeah, just love Jesus. Well, I'm going to go get confirmed. Yeah, don't do that. Go get disciple. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't want to be accountable because the other church told me I can sing in the choir and live however I want to. Yeah, don't do that. You can go to hell with a choir robe on. Right? That's the truth. I'm not no better than anybody else here. You read the Bible and spur me on. If you ever see me trying to be Willy Wonka, you just stop me real quick and go, Ah, you ain't Willy Wonka and I ain't your Oompa Loompa. I'm here one hour. Do you understand? I'm here one hour to encourage us to live for Jesus. So we better find ways to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Text them right now and say, I know you. I know where you're at right now. I'm coming after you. Tell them, we miss you. We love you. But encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Sounds right, doesn't it? If we're the church, judgment is coming. We should be encouraging each other to be here. And when we break out into our small groups, like I said, I'm here for an hour, but you have 13 other hours to choose from this week. You pick something that encourages you, that relates to your life. Sometimes I hear people say that, you know, there's not enough old people here. All right, well, you stick with us and then start an old person life group. And that's just what we'll call that. The old fuddy-duddies for Jesus. It's not my fault y'all ain't sticking around long enough to start a life group. I have no problem. Classical saints or classic saints. I have no problem. Just do what everybody else did. Go to the Bible studies, get trained up, become a leader. And you gotta remember, God didn't call me to start a church in the nursing home. He told me to reach the coal community. So most of the time, and my parents say this, they're retired, most of the time everybody feels a little bit younger than them. Yeah, that's right, because you're 70. People are going to look a lot younger than you in life. That's okay. It says now, though, here's where it gets serious. If we deliberately keep on sinning, hold on, verse 25, don't give up meeting together. Now verse 26 brings up sin. Well, What's going on here? Let's hear it. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. You mean, Pastor, you're supposed to remind me that there is a hell to come as I'm meeting with you and encourage me to go to heaven because hell's hot and heaven's not? Yeah. I'm not to threaten you with hell and we're not to be angry, but we are to remind you. It's so easy to be deceived when you lose the body of Christians and believers. I had one person say to me, well, what if you guys were wrong and you were all just brainwashing me? Then show us through the scriptures. And then they said, well, what if the scripture is wrong? Well, then I said, what if you're just in unbelief? At some point, God is real and God has spoken. If you want to go take a journey through all the different religions, I'll meet you back here at Christianity. But for all of us who are Christians, and let's just be honest, this person was a Christian too, what they're really just saying is, I don't want anybody to teach me anything. Well, what this is telling us is that when you start having that attitude, You may get into deliberate sin and self-deception, and that is something you should take serious. That's why I stay accountable. The Bible says confess. Listen, it does talk about confession. It does in James, but it says confess your sins one to another. I confessed some of my sins yesterday to a brother and sister on the phone, another couple with my wife and I. Keep me accountable that I'll be patient and loving. Amen? Amen. I want to keep you account. I don't want to be in your business. I'm just saying as we get to know each other in these life groups, in our services, that's important to do. That's what these priests of the Lord are doing up here. Like you, they have a connection to God. And like you, they want to pray to God with you and for you. And you can pray for them. Many times you'll see the altar workers pray, and then the next person will say, Now can I pray for you? Awesome. You'll sometimes see them at the end gather around each other. Hey, brother, just pray for me now. That's the body of Christ. Don't have superstition to think to yourself, My prayer means more to you, uh, more to God than your prayer. That is foolish. Just because I've been doing this 20 years doesn't mean I have something with Him in a relationship that you don't have. I may know more about Him in other ways. But that doesn't mean Papa doesn't love you the same as he loves me. I have an 8-year-old daughter that knows a lot more about life but than my little baby Joy. But when Joy cries and says, da-da, da-da, she gets my attention just as much as Bethany does with her journal and all the things going on in her mind and her heart. How many parents know what I'm talking about? Abba, Father, loves you, and he wants you to pray to him too. And if you want to pray together, as the Bible says is good, and it's really for our encouragement We do that without superstition. We do it with gratefulness of saying, when we're gathered together, God says he's here. I'm encouraged by that. Let us lift up our prayers to Jesus, the one mediator between God and man. Amen? Continuing on in Hebrews, once again with the seriousness, he says, remember, Hebrews 13, 7, he says, remember your leaders. Because many of these people had their leaders go. This was called circuit preaching. They would start a church here, and they would say, guys, I got to go. The world's coming to an end. They, they didn't know when Jesus was coming back. Now, they weren't foolish to say September 23rd, he'll be here. But they were in a hurry to win the world, and we still should be right now as well. So they would say, man, I got to go to the next village. I got to go to the next town. And so they would be like, "Go." what do we do? And then they would give them these letters. These epistles came from the apostles. The letters are called epistles, and they would give them the epistle. And if they themselves weren't the apostle, they would say, here, get the book of Romans. Paul wrote it to the people of Rome. You guys here in Philadelphia, you guys use this. You guys here in Ephesus, use this until Paul can get you your own letter. And they would just have these little letters, most of them illiterate as well. And so one would read, the rest of them would listen, and they would memorize, and they would take it serious. And hear the author is saying, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. So imitate Peter. Peter should never be put down. John should never be put down. And the reason why we exalt Peter, just like we exalt Mary, is because they were chosen for special tasks. Peter was the first to get the revelation of Jesus, and he was the first to preach on the day of Pentecost. That was the first stone, as you could say, being thrown out into the pond of the world. There he went, and we all have been following him ever since. But like I said, when it's time for him to write his letter, he says, you guys are all stones. You guys are all priests. You're all a temple of the Lord. Let's, let's go to the living stone and have him build us up. So follow your leaders. Leaders repent when they're wrong. Leaders admit when they do things they shouldn't do. Now watch this next one. We don't like this next word. It's a four-letter word. It's a naughty word. Verse 17 starts with an O, ends with a Y. What does it say? One, two, three. Oh, help us, Jesus. We are to obey. See, this is what the 21st century postmodern culture doesn't want to do. They don't want to obey the teachings of Peter, so they don't want to obey me when I say the teachings of Peter. If Peter said, don't have sex before marriage, and then I repeat what he said, now they get mad at me. But they got mad at him a long time ago, didn't they? We now say there's two genders, and this is how God made them. Here's here's the revelation. You all ready for the deep thing? Bring me on Oprah, and I'll explain it to the whole world. There's two, male and female, and guess what happens when they get together on one lonely old Saturday night? Listen to R. Kelly. Guess what happens? A baby comes out, and that's what we're supposed to do with our sexuality, but people don't like that because they don't like what our apostles said. Even though they're not alive with us, we know they're still living because spirits don't die. They're in heaven, and their voice speaks through the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? So I'm still following Paul. Are you still following Peter? Are you still following John? Jesus said, I'm the God of the living, not the dead. So like they followed in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we follow Peter, James, and John. And then locally, I'm supposed to teach you those things as well. Submit to their authority. Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. Why? Because they want to get rich off you, because they want to make a big TV ministry off you, because they want you to be their fans. No, because they, if they're good leaders, keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So, I'm going to be held accountable for what I did here for my hour. I'm going to be accountable for how I've treated you. Did I preach messages to purposely manipulate you to do things for me in my kingdom, to build up my ego? Or did I point you to Jesus? Did I show you the one who saved me as a high school dropout when I was 18 years old? You see, the church was responsible for bringing me the gospel. It was because pastors raised up my mother and taught her the gospel, that she could give it to me, her son, at a kitchen table. It was because those workers would work with me in the nursery and in the children's area. When I was a young kid growing up, and on these felt boards, they would teach me about Daniel and the lion's dead and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace, that I was brought up with ethics. And even when I was old and I denied them, I didn't depart for too long because God was faithful to bring me back. And it was the church when I first got saved and couldn't understand how to make new friends, get off drugs, put my life back together. It was pastors and leaders who would encourage me, pray for me. I remember receiving words from people just like you in this church. They would write them down on notebook paper. This was before Facebook. And they would hand them to me on Sunday mornings and they would say, I've been praying for you. And this is a word that God said you needed to hear. And I would open it up and it would be so special to me because I would feel alone and they would put something in there and I knew it was God. And now I'm watching those people pass. They were 40 and 50 and now I'm 40. My friends are 50, some of my older friends and We need to pass down these traditions to each other, these ancient things that are powerful. We have a word for you at this altar. God will speak to you. Come to these life groups and let God encourage you. Don't go through this alone. And you'll watch what God will do in your life. Amen? I'll just keep crying, man. The, um, The words that I hold in my heart are words that no man would know except God. And God spoke them clearly to people. People say all the time to me, well, that church has hypocrites. Okay, well, are you a hypocrite? Now let's start there. How are you living? Because if you're not going to church and calling everybody a hypocrite, what does that make you? Sounds like a hypocrite to me because you still think you're a Christian calling everybody else hypocrites. Doesn't the Bible talk about that? And then somebody says, well, I'm looking for the perfect church. Well, when you get here, it's not going to be perfect anymore because you ain't perfect in that way. If you're saying perfection in the sense of I want an infallible church, that's why when you look at the popes of Rome, it's like, dear God, don't call this man infallible. Please don't. But they have to go back and make amends for all the messes these popes caused. And then sadly, we as pastors have to do that all the time. I, I, I'm not just picking on the Catholic Church. I can tell you a hundred Protestant pastors that have had sex with women that weren't their you know, wives, taking money, stolen them, you know, stolen money, televangelists. God forbid that we would ever let that keep us away from God's church, though. I want, to, I want you to see Jesus in the church. Amen? Let me just give you these in closing. Everybody say, a new humanity. Thank you. The church is a new humanity. We'll get to this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. But the Bible says that in Christ he is making a new humanity. By setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new what? What? One new humanity. The big thing of the Old Testament was Jew and Gentile. God is saying they're all coming together. I'm making a new humanity. You are a part of that right now. Your resurrection body is in Christ right now. And as surely as he breathed into you life, into dust, he will give you a resurrected body like his on the day of judgment. That new humanity will rule and reign with him. Number two, the church is the wisdom of God for the nations. The church must be in our military. The church must be in our government. The church must be in our school systems. Not there as a church-run state. We don't want that. We're not the theocratics. We don't want God, the church, and then government. We don't. That's why we made democracies here. Every other empire did it wrong. The Aztecs were theocracies. The Romans, theocracies. The Egyptians, theocracies. The tribes of Africa, theocracies. God tells the priest, and we all listen. That's not what we're saying. We believe in democracy until the kingdom comes. Let God be the only one who rules in that way. But the church must have influence in those places. I don't want to force anyone to change their religion. I just want the freedom to be able to talk about mine and let them have the freedom to make their own choice. Amen? And the ones who take away your freedom are the ones who are the most afraid of what you have to say. That is why in Muslim and communist countries, they do not want us talking there. And that's why I always wear this bracelet to remember the persecuted church around the world. And if you ever want one, I'll give one to you for free. The church brings forth the wisdom of God. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold multiplicity of the wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm, starting with them, and then his eternal purpose is accomplished upon the earth. Let us show the devil we're in charge and then give our best ideas to the people of this world. Amen? We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we want to tell the devil, you're not in charge, so we pray against you, and then we ask that God blesses us on our jobs. The church is the body of Christ. The, body, the Bible literally says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So the body of Christ, with him being the head, is supposed to grow. How many of you want to grow up before God throws up? How many are tired of churches and Christians that are refusing to grow up? They got pampers on, but they're 30 years old. They got a bottle, but they, still, but they got whiskers. Come on, somebody. Therefore, y'all acting like I make up preaching like this. Read what Paul said on verse 4 uh, verse 14 on 1 2 3. 1 2 3. Then infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. God wants you to grow up, amen. And lastly, the church is the bride of Christ. If you ever talk about the church in a negative way, you can talk about doctrines and say, I disagree. That's okay. You can talk about attitudes that you don't like. I don't like every attitude in the church. Come on, let's be real. But you cannot talk against the capital C church of Jesus Christ. That is his bride. If you talk against the church, you're talking against the most precious thing that God has ever created upon this planet. So let us be honest. When we see what is wrong, let us call it out. But I don't want no beer-belly sport fan telling me we're wasting our time here when he just paid $50 to watch a guy with a wooden bat hit a ball over a fence. And then he complains about what money we have here. Shame on him. You have money for nothing over there. What does that accomplish? Are you listening? So don't bring that mess here. You don't complain about how much Baez gets gets, uh, paid. Are you listening? And then we pay money to go to these movie theaters to watch make-believe. Make believe. You've been here now one and a half hours. You've already done that ten times this week with movies and entertainment. Are you listening? Let's not let the world get us to talk negative about the church. You got training while you were here. You got prayer while you were here. You were able to sing songs unto God here. Your marriage was strengthened here. Many of you had your sound mind given here that the confusion left you, depression left you. There are testimonies of God's love here. Can I get an amen? Amen. For the husband is the head of the church as Christ is, excuse me, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. We've heard that before in marriage ceremonies, haven't we? And then here we hear, uh, then we hear at the beginning, this is a, uh, at the end rather, this is a profound mystery. Help me, Jesus. But I am talking about Christ and the what? The church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her as Respect her husband. Let's all stand up and give it up for Jesus today in his church. Come on, can we? How many love Jesus today? Can I get an amen? How many love the church? Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's close out. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? Jesus, you said you would build the church and the gates of hell would not prevail. You would start with Peter and the revolution would change the entire planet for generations until you come back. We are thankful that 2,000 years later, here we are reading the teachings of your apostles. We ask now that you will make us living stones, that you will make us a priesthood, Father God, and a temple unto you. Before we go right now, would you ask God to make you a living stone in the church of God right now? If you have not been born again, ask him to come into your heart by repenting of your sin and confessing him as the Lord of your life. Those of you who have been born again right now, would you just say, Lord, make me a stone in the temple of my God. Make me a living temple. If there's anything in your life that's been against the church, just repent of it now. Maybe you've been rightfully done wrong. Like it's right that you have a wrong against the church of whatever you've uh, had experienced You're right. I get it. Like, yes, trust me. I've met those people too. Okay? But here's the deal. Forgive them as Christ forgave the church, and now move on. Let's go. This is not a church that's going to do those same kind of things. Let's go on now. I've been hurt. I've been hurt in the church many times, but I move on and find the right people to do life with, and I continue to grow. I mature as that body. I love the bride of Christ. A few more moments. If you're not born again, do so right now with a simple confession of faith, repentance of sin. You know what you've done that's against the the commands of God. Repent. And those of us here, come on, put yourself in the place of these early disciples and say, Lord, use me to build your church in this generation like you did in that time, God. And maybe start to pray for the life groups or the ministries that you see that God's drawing you towards. And if you haven't picked one yet, just do so now. Just say, Lord, I'm going to ask you to lead me to pick a life group, something to do during the week where I can get on the field, play the game. In Jesus' name, right now I lift up to the to you, Lord, the single moms. Raise up single moms in this church to reach, reach other single moms, even those who may not be a single mom but want to reach other single moms. Let them come and help. Lord, we pray for our children on Wednesdays. We pray that you will raise up a generation of king's kids, knowing their identity and who they are, Father. We ask you today to be with our three youth life groups that meet all throughout the week, oh God. In the Friday youth service, raise up these teenagers, take them off the streets, heal their broken hearts from broken homes, keep their minds pure, Father God. We ask you today to be with our marriage life group. Those that take time to work on their marriage to build the love that they have for one another because if you can fall in love you can fall out of love, but if you build love your foundation will remain and nothing will tear you apart. Love never fails. Lord, we lift up to you our life group of families. Those that get together and meet at parks, bowling alleys and have fun together with their children. May they encourage each other. May those who feel overwhelmed parenting be encouraged by the stories and testimonies of others lord we lift up to you the gang ministry that goes out on thursday that doesn't just talk about a better chicago but goes to lay down their life and work for a better chicago we pray lord that they'll be given boldness and courage and safety to reach those god who maybe don't know any better who have chosen a path that was set out for them by somebody else lord help them make a choice now to serve you Lord, we lift up to you Saturday evangelism. Those who go out to train others to do evangelism, our discipleship training for evangelism on Saturdays, and when they go out, God, bless them. Use them. Speak to them, Father God. Do things in their lives. This is your church today. What will you do for the Lord? 30 more seconds. Would you just raise up your hands and say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. I will go. Send me, God. I will go. I will be that one that reaches another one and then teaches that one to reach another one. I will reach up to heaven. Reach in and be changed and reach out and change the world. I will be a history maker. I will be a roof breaker. I will be a generation shaker. In the name of Jesus, do it now, Lord. And everybody said... Amen. Give it up for Jesus one more time. Come on. Woo! Slap your neighbor high five and say, I love my church. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you at Life Groups. If you need prayer, come on up now. We will pray for you. Otherwise, enjoy.